0: To become a Christian, it requires a decision, doesn't it? What kind of decision? Decision of faith. To invite somebody to church requires a decision, doesn't it? On your part and as well on the part of the person who will come. And largely, it is still also is a decision of faith, isn't it? The fact that we decided to put this drama on, again, is a decision of faith. Every... Every decision we make, we make uh, by faith. We're trusting the Lord. And we're going to conclude our little mini-series on decisions of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we're going to review just real quickly the decisions we've already looked at and then conclude with the last two. I suggested to you that in this passage of chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, there were seven Decisions that faith makes. How many decisions? Seven decisions that faith makes. And they're all illustrated by whose life? Moses. They're all illustrated by Moses' life. In verse 23, if you look at verse 23 with me, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' parents made a decision of faith, didn't they? And that decision I suggested to you was this that faith accepts God's plans. So the first decision that that one would make would be to accept God's plan. I don't think you can move on from there except that you accept God's plan. So right from the get-go in the beginning of his life his parents accepted God's plan. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know all the details, but they knew that God had a plan. They believed God. They believed in God. They knew he had a plan for their son, and they accepted God's plan, whatever that plan would turn out to be. So that's critical. That moves us to the second decision of faith. That's found in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What decision of faith is reflected in verse 24? Does anybody remember? That faith now getting now remember faith rejects the world 's prestige faith rejects the world 's prestige and, and and what what does faith accept in place of the world 's prestige the world 's rejection huh the world 's prestige is is offered to us we long for it we 're trained to desire it to Uh, gravitate towards fame and uh, um, honor and those kinds of things. Uh, None of us, it's our favorite thing to be rejected. Isn't that true? In fact, we do everything we can to avoid being rejected. Everything we can to be accepted. And we press that and we press that. But faith rejects what the world has to offer in terms of prestige, in terms of fame, In terms of honor. The person of faith, their heart is not set on those things. And so Moses, again, is our example of a faith that rejects the world's prestige. The third decision of faith found in verse 25. We're told that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. What decision of faith is found in verse 25? That's right, faith rejects the world's pleasures. Faith rejects the world's pleasures. In other words, my heart is not set on the pleasures of this world. A person of faith, their heart is, is, is set elsewhere, isn't it? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be? Isn't that what Jesus says? He says, don't store up your treasure on this earth? Because it's what? It's going to pass away. So, faith... Rejects the world's pleasures. And as a, uh, a correlation to that, we see in the next verse, uh, verse 26, the writer says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Faith rejects the world's plenty. So it's the prestige of the world, the pleasures of the world, the plenty of the world. There's a tremendous trap in all those things if we set our heart on those things. But faith rejects those things. Faith says, "No, that that's not where I'm going. That's not what I'm going to seek. That's not what I'm going to seek. That's not where I'm going. I'm going to run after." Verse 27. Faith rejects the world's pressure. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. What great pressure is there on, on, on our life? The pressure to be afraid. Afraid of what people think? Afraid of what people will do? What they'll say to us? But faith rejects the world's pressure, and especially the pressure of fear. The pressure to be... Um, conformed to the image of this world you're significant you're important you're somebody you're really worthwhile if you and then you fill in the blank wherever you feel the pressure of the world saying that you should conform if you conform you're wearing the right clothes you're driving the right car you you live in the right place whatever it is in terms of material things worldly pursuits uh, but we, uh, we, there's great pressure on us. But faith rejects the world's pressure. We see that reflected in uh, Moses' life. Now we move on to verse 28 and the sixth decision of faith. If you are growing in your faith, these decisions become more and more prominent in your life. They become more and more prominent. It's just that you're, you're changing. God is changing. You see yourself responding to what He's doing in your life. And your choices and your decisions begin to favor these characteristics. There's certain things you accept, certain things you reject, certain things you, you long for, you, you run with, certain things you say, no, I, I choose not. In verse 28, we see, The writer says, By faith he, meaning Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So in verse 28, I would suggest to you that faith accepts God's provision. This is the second of three things that faith accepts. The first one was that faith accepts God's plan. And now faith accepts God's provision. What was the the last plague, the tenth tenth and the last plague that God sent on the Egyptians? It's recorded in Exodus chapter 11, verse 5. Anybody remember? It's the angel of death, right? That's the tenth and the last plague that God sent on the Egyptians. Now, to protect the Israelites from that plague... In other words, the angel of death was going to come over the land, and all the firstborn, whether they were human or animal, all the firstborn were going to die. This was a plague of God because of the Egyptians' hardness of heart. God meant for his people to be protected, didn't he? What provision did God make? What provision did God make for the Israelites to be protected from the angel of death? so that their firstborn would not die. That was good. <laughs> That's right. They were to sacrifice a lamb, and they were to take some of the blood of the lamb, and they were to place it where? On their doorpost and on the lintel. That's the, the, the beam that holds up the the, the door. So they are to place the blood on there. It's interesting. It, it's almost in the shape of a cross, isn't it? You can see that. you're looking. This was the, the initiation of the Passover. So the angel of death would pass over those houses that had the blood placed on the door. Was the blood in and of itself powerful to ward off the angel of death? See, if you were superstitious, you could say that, huh? A lot of people are superstitious, and they carry all manner of artifacts and relics, and uh, they have to sit in the same seat all the time. (laughs) All manner of superstitions. None of us, however, do that. The blood in and of itself had no efficacy. It was the sprinkling of the blood as God commanded. It was an act of faith and an act of obedience. It was a fact that God said, this is what I want you to do. This is going to protect you. The fact that they obeyed, the fact that they took a step of faith, they accepted God's provision to save them from death. What was the blood ultimately symbolic of? Yeah, it was symbolic of Christ's sacrifice by which certainly he conquered death for all who would believe in him, right? You know, when I was a new Christian and, and had never read the Bible, never really, though I grew up uh, in a religious home, never really understanding everything, I just knew Jesus died for me. That was about all I knew. That was kind of rote, if you will. But when I became a Christian, I started reading the Bible. I started in the Old Testament. And I happened on all these sacrifices, all this blood. And we would sing these songs, you know, the blood of Jesus. And I'm hearing people saying, I'm washed in the blood. I'm going, you yeah, know, and I don't, I don't want to say anything. But I'm just going, what is this bloody bloody stuff all about because I don't quite get it yet and so I finally got up enough courage to ask somebody I said you know explain something to me Uh, what what is all what is washed in the blood mean what does it mean to be under the blood what's all this blood And they began to explain to me what it all meant. They said, well, you see, the wages of sin is death. Ah, okay. Sin is offensive to God, okay. The wages of sin is death, so, so in other words, for sin, the penalty is death, somebody has to die. So when you're a sinner, your penalty is death. And they went to explain to me, it's not just physical death, but it is eternal death. It's separation from everything and everyone, life itself, eternally lost. Death to the max. Then they went on to say, now you you can satisfy God one of two ways. Either you're going to spend your entire eternity satisfying his justice, or somebody can die for you. And they said that all of the all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were symbolic. Now we've talked about this, haven't we? They're all symbolic of that one final sacrifice on the cross in terms of Jesus. They told me that, they showed me in the Bible where it says that the life is in the blood. A life must be given, life is in the blood. Therefore, the shedding of blood is essential for the forgiveness of sins. I understood. I understood all this blood business. Sin requires a life be given. Sin is deadly. And now I really understood what Christ's sacrifice on the cross meant that he gave his life, he poured out his blood, that my life now had been washed in his blood. All of my sins were were washed away by his blood. They were paid for by his sacrifice. That I now came under the protection, under the covering of his blood. I understood now what all of those phrases, all those statements meant. That marked me powerfully. How grievous and how how desperate sin is and how offensive it is to God and the requirement, the punishment of it is that a life must be given. This is terrifying. And so we see this reflected here. Now, I'm sure that, that the Israelites, I'm sure that Moses didn't understand the full significance of that ceremony but they knew it was part of God's plan but and they obeyed they put the blood on the doorway they accepted God's provision so that they would not die God required it very simply and they obeyed Moses accepted God's provision. The people accepted God's provision because of what he told them. Beloved, faith always accepts God's provision. Say that with me. Faith always accepts God's provision as opposed to man's provision. Faith always accepts God's provision. No matter how strange, no matter how pointless it may seem to our human understanding, I mean, imagine, here they are. They have never painted blood on their doorposts before. The angel of death is coming. They've seen these plagues. And Moses says, God said, paint the doorposts with blood, and we'll be protected. Now, you're an average Israelite. Is that going to make a lot of sense to you? No, it's not. But they do it anyway. They do it as an act of faith out of obedience, because God required it. Whenever a person accepts Jesus Christ by faith, that person accepts God's provision for salvation. Jesus Christ is God's provision uh, for salvation. To the world, Jesus Christ is not God's provision. What's what's provided, what's necessary, if you will, uh, to the world? Uh, What's a much better way to please God than faith in Jesus Christ? Works. Works. Do good things. You tell them you you receive Christ. You believe in Jesus. They say, yeah, but what do you have to do? Because we're used to doing stuff, aren't we? We're used to earning. We're used to performing. You say, no, you believe in Jesus. See, Jesus died for you. You put your faith in Jesus. He made the full and final payment once for all. You put your faith in Jesus. That's it? That's it. You believe in Jesus. That's, there's got to be more. You put your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. But the world, no, that's not enough. It works seem, I have to, I have to, I have to give something. I have to do something. I have to, No, you believe in Jesus. Then we tell them that the world's way is not God's way. To God, all of our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. God says so right through the prophet Isaiah. As good, as good, as good as you can be, the good deeds that we can do and there are a lot of humanly speaking righteous non-believers aren't there i mean some really good people sometimes you scratch your head you see a christian really messing up and then you look over here and you see this non-christian who is living the kind of life at least externally that you think the christian ought to live and you think hmm and you think how how could that person how could that person How could that person be perishing when they're doing everything that we should be doing as Christians? Because they're what? They're basing their eternal security, if you will, on their works. And God says, you know, as good as you are, you've got to be what? Perfect. So all of your righteous deeds, every good thing that you can do to please God, God looks at him and says, nope, doesn't make it. He says, it's like they're just filthy rags. We present them like good deeds, don't we? Beautiful, wonderful things. He says, they're filthy rags in my sight. Our good deeds are an offense to him if we're trying to use them as a basis for our own justification. They're offensive to him. Now, that sometimes is hard for us to grasp because we're fallible. We're limited. But if you were a perfect being... Anything less than perfection doesn't do it. So there's only one other person, one other way, and that's through Jesus Christ that we can please God, that we can uh, enter into relationship with Him. Faith, very simply, accepts Christ's righteousness applied on our behalf. Faith accepts. Christ's righteousness applied on our behalf. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians. He said, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's as if, if I can use this analogy, you've got to take a final exam. And, and you've got to get 100% on this final exam. Your life depends on it. It's a very important exam, would you agree? So your life hangs on this exam. You've got to get an absolute 100% A on this exam. Now you know, you know that you're not ready. You know that you don't know enough. You know that it's impossible. You are not prepared for that final exam. And you know that you go into that thing you're not even going to get a B or a C or a D. You're going to fail it. But you've got to take it. Everything hangs on it. But then you hear, in case you can't take it, in case you can't get an A, there's another option. Somebody can take it for you. Would you beat the bushes to find somebody who can take it for you? But you have to find somebody who can get an A. So, in a sense, you're still in a desperate situation until you can locate somebody who can get the A. Are you with me? That's exactly the situation we're in. We're going to take an exam. The exam is stand before God and justify our life before Him. And we've got to produce absolute perfect righteousness in order to get into heaven. We can't do it. So, we look around for somebody who can do that for us. Who is that person? Jesus, There's only one perfect person who can do this. The Bible tells us that Jesus has fulfilled all the requirements of the law, and because through Him, He has done that, through Him, now all the righteousness requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us. Let me just say, say this to you. Not only did He get the A for us, not only was the A that He got for us applied to our transcript. But the effect and the full effect of the A is applied to our life. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are being transformed into that A. He is transforming us. And that happens by, I receive it, I receive it. And as I receive it, and the A goes on my transcript, then the Holy Spirit begins that work of transforming my life So that my life now matches the A. It's as if I got the A. He does it. He does it. Is that not marvelous? That is just outstanding. Beloved, this is God's way, this is faith's way. It accepts God's provision. God has made provision. For people who will come to Him, who will receive His righteousness, not their own. They don't have to base anything on their own ability, righteousness, good deeds. God has made provision. And you you receive that provision by faith. It requires a decision, though, doesn't it? A decision of faith. Now that leads us to the last decision, the seventh one. We find this one in verse twenty-eight, or verse twenty-nine. I'm sorry. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So I want to suggest to you that this is, in addition to accepting God's plan, in ex- in addition to accepting. God's provision faith also accepts God's what do you think Well look at verse look at verse 29 again By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned Well let's look at this let's look at some background here Moses led the people out of Egypt right They were headed toward the promised land They reached a barrier. What was the barrier? The Red Sea. When they got to the Red Sea, they looked behind them, and guess who was coming? Pharaoh and his army, and they were not far behind. Did the people rejoice? Were they enthusiastic to see Pharaoh again? Were they excited? No. From all they could see, they were trapped, and there was no way of escape. Their back was against the Red Sea. They could see Pharaoh's army coming. They believed they were doomed, didn't they? They lost heart, they complained bitterly, and they complained sarcastically to Moses. They said to him, Were there not enough graves in Egypt? that you brought us out here in the desert to die, their conclusion was they were going to die. They saw no way out. So Moses, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die to bury us? Now Moses says to them, Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Now you're an Israelite. You're sitting there. You see them coming. You're hearing Moses. You're facing a decision here. And it's a decision to accept God's promise, His promise of deliverance. Moses goes on to say, The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So the last decision of faith is the decision to accept God's promise. God had promised to save them. He promised to deliver them. Faith accepts God's promise. Faith accepts God's promise. So for a while, they trusted God. We're told in verse 29, and because they trusted God, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. They believed Moses' promise from God and they started walking across that dry seabed as soon as the waters were parted. They believed God's promise to deliver them. Now, I, I suspect that crossing that dry seabed took a considerable amount of faith. Would you agree? I mean, the waters are piled up on both sides of them, right? It must have seemed terribly threatening. I mean, just walking through. I mean, did you ever see the movie Ten Commandments? I just that's a wonderful I don't know, you know, how how true to life that is, but that's an awesome picture of these guys walking through there and the waters are piled up on both sides. Had the waters returned too soon, the Israelites would have died, not the Egyptians. Would you have been a little bit nervous? The people had No guarantee, except God's word, God's promise, he would not change his mind, nor would he forget them. They had his promise. I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. The waters are piled up. His word was enough. And beloved, for the faithful, God's word is always enough. God's word is always enough. Lord, I I trust your word. He says it right there. I'm going to trust your word. Faith, beloved, takes God at his word and is victorious. Faith takes God at his word and is victorious. Presumption, on the other hand, denies God's word and is destroyed. There's a difference between the two. We don't want to confuse faith with presumption outwardly they may seem the same. Would you say that it was equally courageous for the Hebrews and the Egyptians both to pass through the Red Sea? Was it courageous for the Hebrews to pass through? Was it courageous for the Egyptians to follow through and pass through? I mean, the Egyptians didn't stop and go, whoa! No, they just raced headlong in there, didn't they? It took great courage for the Egyptians to go in there, didn't it? Men of faith take risks that sometimes seem foolhardy. Men of faith. But so do the godless. They take risks that seem foolhardy. But there's a great difference between them, and that difference is profound. Because men of faith rely upon God's word and upon God's promise, whereas the others act in complete disregard of God's word and on a brash impulse and just a trust in their circumstances. They presume. They presume. They presume tomorrow will come. They just presume that life is going to go on. They just presume that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. They have no basis upon which to say, yes, I know this is true. However, we do, don't we? We have God's word that tells us very clearly, very accurately. Beloved, the Egyptians persistently hardened their hearts to the Lord, and they presumed to trust themselves, to trust in themselves, and they were drowned. Big difference between presumption and faith. Big difference between trusting in God's word and his promise and just trusting in what I think, what looks good, what looks easy. The test of faith is trusting God when all we have are his promises. That's the test of faith. Trusting God when this is all I have, his promises. God, you have promised to work everything for my good. Because I love you and have been called according to your purpose. You have promised. I trust in your promise. If someone actually believed that, do you think that would alleviate anxiety and fear? Sure. When the waters are piled high all around us, problems and dangers are about to overwhelm us, beloved, this is when faith is tested. This is when faith is tested. The question is, will we go forward though the circumstances seem impossible? There's a huge wall there, a huge barrier. Do we stop and give up? Or are we willing to go forward? Many people have discovered that when they're willing to go forward in faith, that that wall was made out of wax. And it just dissolved right in front of them. But a lot of other people just stopped. They gave up. They just saw a wall. They said, oh, that's it. Can't go any further. I'm going to give up. No hope. Circumstances overwhelm me. What about God's promises? What about God's promises? Over and over and over, he told his people, trust me, press on, press on. You see, this is when the Lord takes special pleasure, I believe, in showing us, showing us His faithfulness, showing us His love, and showing us His power. When we are, when we are, are, are bereft of any human resource, when we're stripped, when, when all of our resources are gone, when we've, we've tried everything, we've tried everything, we've tried everything, we've gone every resource, and now all the resources are gone, so now we have to pray. It's come to that. Now we have to trust God. And I imagine, I imagine God says, finally, (laughs) finally. You know, there's an old saying, before all else fails, pray. Not when all else fails. We have a tendency to trust in ourselves, but God desires to show us His power. He desires to show us His love and to show us His faithfulness. But so much of the time, we are trusting in our circumstances rather than trusting in his promises. And especially when things are piled up around us. Beloved, when we have nothing but his promise to rely on, that's when his and that's when his presence is the dearest to those who believe. It's almost palpable. You can almost feel him there. And his power is present. You just know it. At every juncture in our lives, either we fulfill the will of God and we are then for, therefore filled with the Holy Spirit, beloved, or we, quite frankly, fulfill our own will and we end up quenching the Holy Spirit. See, it's, faith accepts God's promise. It accepts God's promise. As we accept God's promise, as we step out in faith based on the promise, that's when God's faithfulness, that's when His power, that's when His love is evident in our life. When we truly believe God, we will know that in everything He has our best interests at heart and beloved, and we will decide for Him. To live this life of faith requires courage. It requires a willingness to make one decision after another. To say yes to some things, to say no to other things. That's the bottom line. Life is made up of decisions. The Christian life is made up of decisions. Decisions of faith. What decisions of faith are you making? Are Are you making, are you cataloging these seven decisions Are you you integrating them into your life? Are you accepting God's plan? Are you looking at somebody else's life, wanting God's plan for them? Are you learning to reject the the world's prestige, the world's uh, uh, privileges and, and, and pleasures and plenty and pressures? Learning to accept His provision. Lord, whatever you choose to provide for me at any given moment... Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I trust in your promises. Your promises are all I need. You see, this is, this, is, this is the reality of the Christian life. This is the reality. This is what it means to live by faith. And Moses is an example of that. How we make the decisions, the kind of decisions we make. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that you have called us to live this life of faith and you've given us examples through this whole chapter, indeed through this whole book of people who have, who have chosen to, to make these kind of decisions and people who have not chosen them. And Lord, we see the, the results and the effects in those lives. I pray, Father, that through our study of these seven decisions of faith reflected through Moses' life lord that our life would only be enhanced as we implement those very same things on a day-to-day basis lord strengthen us and call these things back to our remembrance throughout each day indeed that we may honor you that we may walk that path that we make decisions that lead to life and not to death lord help us keep us mindful of these things holy spirit Uh, speak to us, lead us in the way that we should go. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses' example. Thank you for your great plan. Thank you for your provision. And Lord, thank you for your promises. I love you tonight. And I praise your name. You are a great God. Keep your heads bowed for just another moment. There may be some people here tonight that God has just spoken to you about your, your relationship or maybe, as the case may be, your non-relationship with Him. And you know that something has to change. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're not sure you know what it is exactly. Maybe it, it, it's that you, you need to, maybe for the first time in your life, get serious about your relationship with God. You already know you're a sinner. Maybe you tried to balance out some of your sins with some good deeds and, and hope that maybe, well, they would balance. But you've heard tonight that you have to have an absolute perfect A, 100%. Nothing less will do. But that Jesus has got that A for you. They face a decision. Jesus is God's provision for you, for your life that you might be saved. That if you died tonight because you received Christ, you would go to heaven. Just like we saw in that video, that little boy, that, that Sunday morning in church, raised his hand, he walked forward, he received Jesus, and that very day, were the whole family killed in an auto accident. I know it was a drama, but that happens. And he was in heaven. His name was written in the, in the book of life. Maybe you need to make that decision tonight. Don't presume that tomorrow may come. There are no guarantees. There may be some others who maybe your, your walk with the Lord has cooled off. And you know it. Maybe you need to stoke up the fire again. Again, requiring a decision of faith. Renew that decision you made one time to... Accept God's plan and his provision. Renew that decision that you made. Say, Lord, I'm recommitting myself to you and to your purpose. But if you want to pray, I'd like to pray with you. However, whatever the situation might be in your life, I'm just going to give you an opportunity. But I don't want to pray all by myself up here. I just want to know that there's some people who are serious and want to pray. You want to get on with it. Commit your life to Christ. If you're ready to make some kind of decision like that, then I just invite you to stand. Wherever you are, you just go ahead and stand, and then we'll pray in just a minute. Is there anybody at all who wants to pray? Okay. God bless you. All right. Back there. God bless you. Anybody else? Okay. God bless you. Anybody else? If you're you're complacent in your faith and you know it, just go ahead and stand. Let's get get started again. Anybody else? If there's some sin in your life right now that uh, you need to get rid of, today's the day. Anybody else? And there there may be some who you just just want to stand again. Nothing's wrong necessarily. You just want to stand. You're so excited about being a Christian. You just want to stand make a statement again. You can stand too. And we'll pray. Lift your hands. If you're standing, lift your hands. Just kind of pray with me. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace to me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe in Jesus and I receive Jesus in my life as your provision for the forgiveness of my sins and for your provision for eternal life. Jesus, thank you that you took the exam for me. You satisfied the requirements. You got the A for me. But not only that, but that you're making the A real in my life. I commit my life to you, Lord. I believe in you. I trust you. And Lord, as I live my life, keep me mindful of these decisions of faith that we've been talking about. That I can indeed continue to reflect a life that accepts you, accepts your plan and your provision, your promises, and a life that rejects the things of this world. The things that can so easily entangle us. So God, I praise your name tonight. And I thank you and I I worship you. Jesus, again, thank you for dying for me. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Fill me that I may live my life for your great glory. We give you thanks, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Now, a couple of things real quickly. We're going to close with some songs in just a minute. Pastor Bruce is back in in the back of the auditorium by the sound booth. Now, we've got a little table back there. There's, there's some resources on there. There's some, uh, there's some New Testaments. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. There's some packets there. If you receive Jesus for the very first time, uh, there's a packet of information. There's a tape in there, uh, a little booklet, a Bible. We want to give that to you. And uh, so you just go back and see Bruce. Also, there's a sign-up sheet. It's very, very important if you are a Christian that you be involved in Christian fellowship. And we have uh, an organ of Christian fellowship in our church called mini-church. How many know that? Only half of our congregation, at best, is in mini-church. That's a shame, because so many people are missing out. So if you're not in mini-church, I want you to go back. There's a sign-up sheet. Sign your name and phone number. We're going to call you and help you find a mini-church. It's essential. God has provided, if you accept God's provision for your life, not only in Christ, but also for ongoing fellowship, then many churches one of those provisions. And we want to see you just grow. This is going to be essential, certainly, for the next several weeks as we approach Easter and approach uh, this dramatic presentation we'll be putting on. So go back and uh, see Bruce at that table. God bless you. Let's stand and let's sing our God's praise. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Hallelujah.
1: This world is not my home, I'm just passing through My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue The angels beckon me from heaven's open door And I can't feel at home in this world And that's one thing I know. My Savior, part of me, and now I onward go. I know He'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me open door. And I can't be at home in this world. Standing on the promises. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Second verse. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. For oh, standing on the promises of God, oh, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of god one more time on the course for standing 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 on the promises of god my savior standing standing i'm standing on the promises is the Lord.